Hello, everyone. What is up? Welcome back to another episode of Killer Instinct. Thank you so much for joining me here today. If you're new here, hi, my name is Savannah and I am your host of Killer Instinct. Before we get started, make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button. That way you never miss an episode. We post weekly every Wednesday on the podcast as well as upload the video version onto YouTube on Wednesdays as well. And you are not going to want to miss it. Now, Today, you guys, this case, this is one that I had never heard of before and was honestly quite shocked at that fact. I feel like it definitely is a lesser known case. However, the brutality and the plot twist in this case is one that is definitely going to shock you. So I am very interested to hear what you guys have to say about this one today. It is completely tragic. It is a horrifying case. And as you can tell, we are talking about the soul murder of Jolene Cummings. So with that being said, let's jump right on into it. Jolene Cummings was born on May 13th, 1984 to her mother, Ann Johnson. Growing up, Jolene lived with her mom and her stepfather in Fernandina Beach, Florida. Fernandina Beach is specifically located on Amelia Island in the northeastern corner of Florida. It is a small beach town where everyone knows everyone. The three of them were very close, Jolene, her mom, and her stepfather. They had a tight-knit relationship. They were always having dinner parties, going to events together. They definitely were a close family. Alongside Jolene's family, she also had a large group of friends as well. She was someone that everyone liked and it was said that she drew people in. Jolene was a small town girl who had dreams of opening up her own hair salon one day, so it wasn't a surprise to anyone when right after graduating high school, she enrolled in cosmetology school out of state. Jolene had left Fernandina Beach for several years. She was off in cosmetology school. She was gaining knowledge. She was living life. And it was during her time that she was away that she had actually gotten married and had her first child, a daughter. Now, this marriage between Jolene and her first husband did not last long, and after the divorce, it left Jolene as a single mother, and that is when she decided to go back to her roots, to go back to where her support system was, and she moved back to Fernandina Beach with her daughter. Once she arrived back, Jolene began working at a hair salon called Tangles. Now, according to her coworkers, Jolene was the light of the salon. Not only was she incredibly talented and knowledgeable, it was said that her clientele list was incredibly long. She was always slammed. She was always booked and busy. So she was very, very talented. But alongside that, her character was really praised as well. Like I said, she was described as the light of the salon. She was kind to everyone, and Tangles in particular was a very family-friendly business. The employees who worked at Tangles had worked there for years and years and years. It wasn't a place that had a high turnover rate. This was somewhere where you went and you stayed, and you really created a bond with your coworkers. They would do luncheons together. They would go to different events together. They would host dinners together. This was definitely a tight-knit workplace. Now, like I said, Jolene was extremely talented in her career as being a hairdresser. And while she did have the dreams of becoming a salon owner one day, working at Tangles was that stepping stone 
Now, in the midst of Jolene's career success, she had met a man named Jason Cummings. Now, as you can probably tell by the similar last name, Jolene and Jason had gotten married after having their first son together in 2013, and then they welcomed their second son in 2015. So now, collectively, they had three children because, like I mentioned, Jolene did have a daughter from a previous marriage, and things in Jolene's life were really starting to finally fall into place. She was thriving in her business. She had married Jason. She had her kids. And when it came to family and especially her kids, Jolene was an incredibly devoted mother. She loved her kids more than anything in the world. She always loved spending time with them, playing with them, going on adventures with them. She was a very hands-on mom and she loved her children. Now, something to note about Jolene is that her friends had said that it had been a pattern for her to not necessarily pick the best men to date. Even though Jolene is described as charismatic and magnetic and funny and kind and all of the things that you would want in a partner, she would always tend to gravitate towards men who really brought her down in life, who her friends thought didn't deserve her, and who just quite simply were not good for her. Now, because of this, it wasn't a huge surprise to her friends when Jolene's marriage with Jason began to go south. However, regardless of the troubles that they were having, Jolene seemed to always want to try and fix things. She was always looking for the solution, and she always wanted to make things work, especially for the sake of her family and her children. Even if Jason's effort in that wasn't as reciprocated, Jolene would constantly try and make their marriage better and make their marriage work. However, ultimately, after countless years of just trying to make things work, the two officially ended their marriage in 2017. Now, after the separation, Jolene did whatever she could to try and make this new transition, this new chapter of her life and her kid's life move as seamlessly as possible. Jason still had visitation with his children. However, they primarily remained in Jolene's care. And after some time, after Jolene had gotten situated, after it seemed like the kids had gotten more situated with their new normal, so to speak, Jolene did start to see some new. Now, Jolene, who was typically private when it came to her dating life, because again, she didn't have the best track record. She knew that her friends, family were more than likely not going to like the person that she was dating. Even though she was typically very private, this new person, this new man in Jolene's life, Jolene was extremely private about. She didn't want anyone to know anything about this man. And other than really just saying that she was seeing someone else, that was the extent of it. She wouldn't give up any more information. Now, even though her friends did have their reservations about Jolene's decision-making when it came to her dating life, it ultimately was her dating life. And to see Jolene be giddy and excited about the potential of a new relationship again, especially after she had just gone through a very tumultuous divorce and separation, it made them happy for their friend. They wanted Jolene to be happy. So seeing her be happy, seeing her get back into the swing of things, back on her feet, they were very happy for her, which is why no one could believe it on one day in May 2018 when Jolene vanished. 
Imagine an app designed to make you use it less. Seems a little counterproductive, right? Well, Apartments.com's instant alert feature works exactly that way. Instead of scanning rental listings a million times a day, simply set and forget your search to whatever you're looking for in a place and let Apartments.com do the rest. From pet-friendly apartments to balconies to in-unit ACs, Apartments.com's powerful search tools let you know when the perfect combination of features you're seeking is listed. So you don't have to power through rental descriptions one by one. With more rental listings than anywhere else, Apartments Apartments.com's instant alerts mean that you can spend less time looking for the perfect place and more time on just doing you. Apartments.com, the place to find a place. So this brings us to May 14th of 2018, and on this day, Jolene's mom, Anne, called police to tell them that Jolene was missing. She went on to explain that the last time that anyone had seen or heard from her daughter was two days prior on May 12th. Jolene was scheduled to pick up her sons from Jason's house on May 13th, which coincidentally enough was Jolene's birthday, and it was also Mother's Day. So these are two very important and monumental holidays that Jolene was very, very excited to spend with her kids, which was why when Jolene never showed up, Jason called Anne to ask if she knew where Jolene was. Now, immediately, Anne knew that something was wrong. She would never miss picking up her kids from Jason's. She was always very punctual. She was always on time. And she was so excited to spend this day with her kids. So for her to not show up was extremely out of character for her. Now, luckily, when police did take down the report, they immediately began this investigation. They took this case very seriously from the get-go. I know there's cases that we cover where it takes a while for police to actually believe that there was foul play involved or believe that this is an actual missing persons case. However, with Jolene's case, police definitely took the initiative here and began their investigation right away. When beginning their investigation, they learned that the last place that Jolene was seen was at the Tangle salon where she worked. Now, according to the owner, Jolene worked that day on May 12th with several co-workers, one being a woman named Anne, who had worked at the salon for 10 years, and then another newer employee named Jennifer Seibert. Now, Jennifer had only been working at the salon for several months at that point, so she definitely was a new hire, but it was Jolene and Jennifer that closed the salon that day. So even though they did have that third coworker with them during the day, the two people that were scheduled to actually close the salon were Jolene and Jennifer. Now, the two of them closed up the salon on May 12th at approximately 5 p.m. Now, police did try and get a hold of the security cameras at the salon. That way, they could see Jolene leaving and see which direction she drove in. However, that is when they learned that the security cameras at Tangles, unfortunately, did not work. Now, police do know that Jolene's car was not in the parking lot when they initially went to Tangles. So that told them that she had to have left the salon at some point. She had to have driven away. Now, police also couldn't ping her phone because it had either run out of battery or it had been turned off. Now, they checked bank accounts and social media accounts to see if there was any activity on either of those from Jolene's end. However, there was none. 
Now, at this point, the first person that police wanted to talk to was Jennifer. Jennifer closed the salon with Jolene that night, and they wanted to know if Jolene had mentioned anything about any plans that she had later in that evening or if she told Jennifer where she was going to be going. And really, their hope was that Jennifer could just help paint a timeline for them. However, when police first got on the phone with Jennifer, Jennifer was very quick to shut them down in any capacity. She told them that she could not talk to police and she could not be involved in any part of the investigation because Jennifer had an ex-boyfriend who was extremely tech savvy. And she described him as being this stalker who she was on the run from. She didn't want to be caught by this crazy ex-boyfriend that she had, and she was worried if she cooperated with police and, you know, helped them in this investigation, her name would be on some sort of document or some sort of record that her ex-boyfriend would be able to get a hold of and in turn be able to track her down and find where she was. Now, when police heard this, They thought, just as I'm sure you are thinking, that's really strange. That is a very strange thing to say. It didn't really make a lot of sense. And police reiterated to Jennifer that all they wanted to know was whether or not Jolene discussed any upcoming plans, if she said she was going anywhere after work. However, Jennifer went on to explain that her and Jolene were not very close. They did not chit chat at work. However, she did say that Jolene was acting normal for the most part and did not mention any plans later that night. But Jennifer also reiterated to police that she did not want to be involved any further in this. Now, at this point, police wanted to check Jennifer's home. They wanted to do a wellness check, and this was on May 14th, so the same day that the missing persons report was filed. They went over to Jennifer's house, and they definitely could see upon first entering that there had been some sort of disturbance. There were broken pieces of furniture. There were cabinet doors hanging off the cabinets. There were holes in the doors, holes in the walls. However, police soon learned that there had been some officers called out to Jolene's home several different times for domestic disputes. And the police who responded to those calls told detectives that the way that they discovered Jolene's home, the way that the detectives discovered it, that was how it normally was. So the broken cabinets, the holes in the doors, that had all been there for quite some time. And so it more than likely was not a result of this particular investigation and Jolene's disappearance. Now, it probably will not shock you when I tell you that the next person that police really wanted to speak to in this investigation was Jason Cummings. Not only were Jason and Jolene in the middle of finalizing their divorce, but they also had not settled on a custody agreement, which police did see as a very possible motive. Now, police met with Jason in person after he agreed to come down to the sheriff's office. During the interview, Jason admits that even though him and Jolene had arguments, they never escalated to anything physical. 
Jason told police that he was with his friends during the weekend of Jolene's disappearance, and he also gave police permission to search through his cell phone and his car. And during the search, police claimed that they found nothing that would make them believe that Jason was responsible for Jolene's disappearance. Now, during the interview, during the interview between Jason and authorities, Jason asked police a question as well. After he had been questioned for quite some time, he told them that he had a question. He said that he wanted to know more information about the guy that Jolene had recently started dating. Jason went on to say that he was getting several text messages from friends saying that whoever this guy was, he was quote unquote bad news. So Jason wanted to know if there was any development, if police had spoken to this man and wanted to know more information about him. Now, police told Jason that they hadn't been able to locate this man at that very moment. However, they were tracking him down to conduct a proper interview with him. Now, when it came to Jason Cummings' alibi and his timeline of events, his story, police did ultimately confirm his alibi, and because of that, they now needed to move on in their investigation. Now, who is this mystery man that Jolene had been dating? Well, that would be a man named Jason G. Yes, Jolene was dating another Jason. Now, police had looked into the previous domestic disturbance calls that had occurred while Jolene was dating Jason G, and they found that on May 9th, so just several days prior to Jolene being missing, Jason G and Jolene had the police called on them for a domestic disturbance. And as a result of this disturbance, Jason G had gotten really angry. He started breaking all of the cabinets. That's why the cabinet doors were hanging off when detectives arrived to the home. Now, it should be noted that when police responded to the call on the 9th, there was no physical violence reported and neither of them were injured and both of them just asked police to go away. Jolene did not want to file any charges against Jason and ultimately police left the scene. Now, police called Jason G several times after Jolene's disappearance. However, every time that they would get on the phone with him, he would answer the phone and when they would introduce themselves, he would immediately hang up. They also went to his house, and each time they would go to his house, he conveniently would not be there. Now, this was obviously not a great look for Jason G, and it definitely made police grow to be more suspicious. However, they soon learned why Jason could be avoiding them. After looking into his record, police discovered that Jason G had an active warrant out for his arrest for probation violation. So they thought it was possible that he didn't want to speak to authorities because he knew that he had a warrant out for his arrest. Now, police's theory that Jason G was avoiding them and hiding from them was ultimately confirmed when they tracked him down in Hilliard, Florida at a relative's house. And when police arrived to the residence, Jason G was actually found hiding underneath a pile of boxes in the relative's bedroom. Now, once police found him, Jason G was arrested for that active warrant that he had for his arrest, and he was brought down to the police station to have a proper interview. Now, when he sat down with authorities, Jason G told police that he did know that Jolene was missing. 
He went on to tell the story of how him and Jolene had initially met. He claimed that they met at a party a little over a year prior that Jolene was throwing. Now, Jason claimed that the last time that he had seen Jolene was on the night of the 9th. He claimed that the disturbance and the argument that ensued between them two was after Jolene had accused Jason of cheating on her. Now, Jason claimed that the day that Jolene went missing, he was at his cousin's house. However, him and Jolene were texting all the way up until about 4 p.m. Now, weirdly enough, when police asked Jason to go through his phone, Jason went on to tell police that he did not know where his cell phone was and that he had lost it. He claimed it was either at his mom's house or his cousin's house, and he said that he took the battery out of it because he just simply wasn't using it. So it was a mix of he lost it, he didn't know where it was, but also he didn't want to know where it was. He wasn't worried about it because he just didn't really want to use it. Now, as you can imagine, police did have some frustration with this. However, Jason went on to explain that the main reason that he did not want anyone to find his cell phone was because he did not want to be tracked or have his phone pinged because of his probation violation not because of anything that had to do with the case. Jason G ultimately and adamantly denied having anything to do with Jolene's disappearance. Now, they did look into his alibi and it did check out. He was with his cousins during the time that Jolene went missing. So ultimately, he was cleared as a potential suspect as well. Now, at this point, police in their mind had just eliminated the two main and kind of obvious choices when looking at potential persons of interest, looking at potential suspects. Whenever we are talking about a case, specifically a missing persons case, the first person that police always look at is the spouse. It's the boyfriend, the girlfriend, the partner, or it is the ex boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, they always look to those people first. And so now with having both the ex-husband and the current boyfriend out of the picture, police decided to work backwards. At this point in the investigation, police wanted to go back to the Tangles Hair Salon, which was the last place that Jolene was seen. So they go back to Tangles, and when they go there, they then meet in person the owner of the salon. Now, while police were speaking to the owner was actually when Jennifer Seibert had walked into the salon. Again, Jennifer was the woman who closed the salon with Jolene on May 12th. Now, when Jennifer arrived to the salon, the owner attempted to introduce Jennifer to the police. The owner said that the police had some questions for Jennifer because she was the last known person to see Jolene. However, when Jennifer heard this, again, she immediately went into defensive mode. She told police she didn't want anything to do with the investigation, that she had told them all of this already. But not only that, At this meeting, Jennifer told the salon owner that she 
quit. The behavior from Jennifer up until this point to police had always been odd. However, they weren't exactly sure how to take it. Police know that there aren't necessarily a lot of people who want to be involved in law enforcement or investigations. She explained that she had this crazy ex-boyfriend who was trying to track her down. So they didn't know what necessarily was happening here. They didn't know if it was she quite simply just didn't want to be involved or if this was something a little more serious. Now, around this time is when police receive a tip from someone that really helps crack this case open. Now, according to the person who called in the tip, they claimed to have seen Jolene's car sitting in a Home Depot parking lot just about 2.3 miles away from the Tangles salon. Now, police immediately drove over to the Home Depot and found Jolene's car. When searching the car, they couldn't find anything that raised suspicion. Now, luckily, even though the salon didn't have working surveillance cameras, Home Depot and the surrounding stores did. Now, police were able to pull footage from a nearby bank that was across the street of the Home Depot and saw that on the early morning hours of May 13th at approximately 1.17 a.m., Jolene's car was seen driving in to the Home Depot parking lot, and minutes later, you see a figure exit the driver's side of the car. Now, this specific footage was too grainy to make out who was getting out of the car, but it was a start. Now, based on the direction that the figure was walking in when they got out of the car, police theorized that they were walking to a nearby gas station. Police then went to the gas station and recovered their security camera footage, which was a crystal clear video. And in the gas station footage, police see a woman walking into the gas station wearing all black, her hair slicked back, and it didn't take long for police to realize that the woman in the video was Jennifer Seibert. Now, at this point, this really changes the trajectory of the investigation because, as I just mentioned, police didn't know if Jennifer's behavior up until this point was simply because she didn't like law enforcement and didn't want to be involved or if there was something more serious that was actually going on. So at this point, they return back to Tangles on May 16th, and now they're really treating the salon as a potential crime scene. Now, luckily for police, the salon had actually been closed ever since Jolene's disappearance. And this was very important because it meant that nothing had been cleaned or disturbed. Now, while police were at Tangles, they decide that they are going to use luminal testing to see if there is any blood evidence that was left behind in the salon. Now, if you don't know, luminol is a chemical that is used to show the evidence of blood even after it's been wiped away. Now, when police put down the luminol and shined the light onto it, they were shocked to see the floors light up blue, indicating evidence of blood. There was evidence of blood all over tangles. It was on the floors, the salon chairs, it was on the mop, it was everywhere in the salon. Almost everything had some sort of blood evidence. 
At this point, police claimed that they knew two things. First being, they were working a very brutal homicide investigation. Some officers claimed that this was the most brutal crime scene that they had ever seen up until this point. So that was the first thing. And the second thing they knew is now they needed to find Jennifer Seibert. So police collected all of the blood evidence that they could and sent it off to the forensic lab. And while waiting for those results, this is when they really were now trying to track down Jennifer. They were able to ping Jennifer's phone and see that she was in St. John's County, Florida, which is about an hour and a half away from Fernandina Beach. Now, police got some insight and learned that Jennifer was living out of her car, which was a black Kia. So police figured more than likely she would be at a rest stop in St. John's County. So one of the detectives in this case drove over to St. John's and stopped at multiple rest stops until lo and behold, there was a black Kia. At that point, the detective had let the others working this investigation know that they had spotted Jennifer's car and multiple detectives drove out to that specific rest stop. Once multiple detectives had arrived, they walked over to Jennifer's car and peeked in with a flashlight and were able to see that Jennifer was sleeping in her car. At that point, police banged on the windows, waking her up and demanded for her to step out of her vehicle. Police noticed when she got out of the car that there was a large cut on her face, and when asked about it, Jennifer claimed that it was from running her bicycle into a tree. Now, during her arrest, police had asked Jennifer if she had ever been in Jolene's car, to which she denied. Now, quite simply, this detective told Jennifer that he didn't believe her. He didn't believe what she was saying. And that is when Jennifer immediately asked for an attorney before she was arrested on grand theft of Jolene's car. So now that Jennifer is arrested, they really dig into her. They are searching her car for any potential evidence, and that is where they discovered Jennifer's haircutting scissors, and they discovered a small dark brown substance on the scissors that had been dried. Now, when police saw that, they thought it was very possible that that brown substance could have been dried blood. They decide to send that off to the forensic lab, and through that, they were able to confirm that not only was the substance on the scissors in fact blood, but it was also confirmed to be Jolene's blood. Police also found a receipt from items that Jennifer had purchased at a local Walmart at 9 p.m. on May 12th, which was the night that her and Jolene closed the salon together. From Walmart, Jennifer purchased ammonia, trash bags, gloves, and a carving knife. Now, even though the Tangle Salon didn't have a working camera in the front of the store, they did have a camera in the alleyway, which was in the back. Now, this alleyway camera had a straight shot to the dumpster. Now, police went back and looked at the footage, and they saw that after going to Walmart, Jennifer returns back to the salon, and at approximately 10.53 p.m., she is seen carrying large trash bags to the dumpster and placing them inside of it. Now, here is where things get complicated. 
The following day on May 13th, just about two hours after Jolene was reported missing, the garbage truck had come by and picked up all of the contents in the dumpster. So now, whatever Jennifer was seeing throwing out was gone. Now, police were able to track down the truck and have the company isolate off the area. That way, they could try and find whatever Jennifer threw away. What they were looking for, sadly, was Jolene. They were looking for any evidence of Jolene through all of this garbage at this landfill. They were trying to find that Jennifer had thrown away, or unfortunately, they were trying to find Jolene herself. But ultimately, they were unsuccessful in finding either. Now, at this point, police were really trying to get a better understanding as to what the relationship was between Jolene and Jennifer, because quite frankly, it just did not make a lot of sense to police of why Jennifer would want Jolene dead. And by the looks of it, that is sadly exactly what ended up happening. Now, coworkers said that Jennifer and Jolene got along great at first. However, over time, tensions did rise due to Jolene's blooming clientele and the fact that Jennifer was not making the same amount of money as her. Coworker said that Jennifer was vocal about her jealousy when it came to Jolene's success. But along with that, according to coworkers, Jolene had her own suspicions about Jennifer. Jolene was vocal to other coworkers about the fact that she thought that something was just off about Jennifer. She told her coworkers that something about Jennifer rubbed her the wrong way. She couldn't put her finger on it, but she just felt like something was off with Jennifer. Now, police also learned that on the day of May 12th, Jennifer and Jolene had gotten into an argument. At the time that this argument occurred, there were other coworkers in the salon, and this argument was based off of the fact, again, that Jolene felt like there was something off about Jennifer, and ultimately, Jolene approached Jennifer in this confrontation. The two of them had words and essentially Jolene told Jennifer that she didn't know what was going on with her, but she was going to figure it out. Now, I know that that might not make a whole lot of sense to you in this moment, but just bear with me. So now we're at May 18th of 2018. This is about six days after Jolene was last seen, and it is now two days since Jennifer has been in custody. Now, at this point, Jennifer finally agrees to sit down and talk to police. However, no one could expect what she was going to say. Now, when sitting down with police, Jennifer told them that when they run her fingerprints, as they do with all inmates, they take their fingerprints, but she went on to say that when they run her fingerprints, the fingerprints will not come up as Jennifer Seibert, but instead they will come up to be a match to a woman named Kimberly Lee Kessler. She said, quote, I was born on May 9th, 1968. I am 50 years old and I've been running from the FBI for over 25 years, end quote. Now, as you can imagine, this threw police through 
a loop. They had no idea what to think when hearing this. They did not know if they could even believe what she was saying. However, when they ran her fingerprints, they were able to confirm that Jennifer Seibert was in fact actually Kimberly Kessler. Now, for the rest of this case and for the rest of this episode, I am going to be referring to her as Kimberly because that is her name. Now, Kimberly went on to tell police that she grew up in Butler, Pennsylvania. She was a cheerleader and on the honor roll until she dropped out of high school after getting involved with the wrong crowd. She then left Pennsylvania and moved to Arizona, where she worked as a topless dancer and began a relationship with one of the men who ran the topless dancing establishment. Now, after a while of dating, she learned that this man was actually wanted by the FBI for bank robbery, and she hid him in her apartment until ultimately they broke up. However, she continued to stay on the run. She claims she did this because she thought she was going to be in trouble for hiding a wanted man, and so she did not want to get arrested in the process. Now, during this conversation, police bring up Jolene. They bring up Jolene's disappearance. They bring up Kimberly's possible involvement. However, Kimberly shut that conversation down very quickly. She claimed that she did not have anything to do with Jolene's disappearance, didn't have anything to do with any part of it. So she shuts that down pretty quickly. However, something that's interesting that I wanted to point out is that police did some digging into Kimberly Kessler, obviously, with all of this new information. They're trying to figure out who they're dealing with. However, when they did so, they learned that neither the FBI or anyone for that matter was ever looking for a Kimberly Kessler. So police were really not sure about who exactly they were dealing with. They didn't really know what to believe with what Kimberly was saying. Now, police also wanted to figure out at this point who exactly Jennifer Seibert was. Was this a name that Kimberly just made up on her own? Was this a real person? And that is when they learned that Jennifer Seibert, in fact, was a real person. She grew up in Butler, Pennsylvania, which is exactly where Kimberly Kessler grew up. However, sadly, Jennifer Seibert, the real one, died in a car accident when she was only 13 years old old. Now, detectives contacted the real Jennifer Seibert's family who claimed that they had no idea, first of all, who Kimberly Kessler was, but also had no idea that Kimberly Kessler was stealing their daughter's identity. Now, police theorized that Kimberly quite simply saw Jennifer Seibert's name on a gravestone and came across her story at some point and decided to steal her identity. Now, police also learned that Kimberly Kessler's mom had reported her missing in 2004 when Kimberly was 36 years old. Now, at that point, Kimberly had been gone from Butler, Pennsylvania for several years before her mom decided to report her missing 
And according to her mom, she claimed that she just always thought that Kimberly would come home. That's why she never reported her missing before. That's why it took so many years. She figured one day Kimberly would come home. She was an adult. However, after years and years had passed and Kimberly was not in contact with her mom and she still hadn't come home, that is why she filed the missing persons report. Now, at this point, police wanted to talk to the people who knew Kimberly. Again, they spoke to her mother, got an understanding of the timeline of her living in Butler versus Arizona and what their relationship dynamic looked like. But they also wanted to talk to the people in her personal life, more specifically ex-boyfriends. Police spoke to people that Kimberly had dated in the past, and they all seemed to have a very similar story. When they initially would meet Kimberly, she would be charming and lovable until one day she would just snap. They all claimed that she would become extremely jealous and overly controlling. One boyfriend even recalled Kimberly stabbing him in the chest and biting his father's leg. Now, detectives learned that Throughout the years, Kimberly Kessler had gone by 17 different aliases and also had several different driver's licenses in several different states. So at this point, police now look through Kimberly's cell phone, and when doing so, they find multiple internet searches. These searches include coworker missing, coworker not found, Jennifer Seibert, Jolene Cummings missing, Jolene Cummings not found, co-worker guilty of murder, missing person body not found, and hair studio. And these searches went on and on and on. And even though police did not have Jolene's body at this point, they were not able to recover her remains. They were very confident in the fact that they would be able to indict Kimberly Kessler on first degree murder. It is extremely, extremely difficult to have a first-degree murder conviction when there has been no body recovered. However, based on all the evidence, police believed that they had a very, very strong case. And that is why on September 7th of 2018, a Nassau County grand jury indicted Kimberly Kessler on first-degree murder. Now, while awaiting her trial in jail, Kimberly exhibited some very outlandish behavior, including saving her fecal matter and putting it into a cup and throwing it at the jail guards. She also would spit at the guards. She would yell at them. She would cuss at them. And ultimately, her behavior was so bad that she was ordered for a psych evaluation to see if she was even fit to stand for trial. Now, it was during this evaluation that Kimberly was diagnosed with what is called delusional disorder. Now, according to her psychiatrist, this is what happens when someone maintains and exhibits behaviors that are not based in reality or fact. Now, it should be noted, though, that the psychiatrist also mentioned that if someone is a good enough actor, they can, in fact, convince others that they have delusional disorder. Now, because of this, a second psychiatric evaluation was ordered, and during this second evaluation with a different psychiatrist, Psychiatrist, the new psychiatrist claimed that Kimberly did not have delusional disorder, but she in fact had something called a personality disorder. Now, regardless of delusional disorder and the personality disorder, the judge decided that Kimberly was fit 
for trial. Now, her trial began in December of 2021, and when Kimberly was brought in for her first hearing, her physical appearance had changed drastically. Kimberly had gone on a hunger strike and lost a significant amount of weight, and she was also brought in via wheelchair. Now, despite her physical appearance, she continued to be incredibly disruptive, and in each court hearing that she was a part of, it would almost become a tactic she would use. She would be disruptive she would yell things out because in doing so, the judge would have her removed from the courtroom. So she started to learn that if she acted out, she would be able to leave the hearing, which is exactly what continued to happen. Now, the prosecution painted Kimberly as a woman on the run who felt threatened by Jolene once Jolene threatened to figure out whatever secret Kimberly was hiding. They theorized that there was a physical altercation at the the Tangles Salon when the two of them were closing on their shift on May 12th. They believe that this argument escalated when Kimberly brought out a pair of scissors and used them to stab Jolene and then used the carving knife that she bought at Walmart to dismember Jolene's body into trash bags that she put in the dumpster, never to be found again. Now, the defense was trying to argue that Kimberly was, in fact, this woman who had delusional disorder and personality disorder. And quite frankly, this argument would be strengthened every time Kimberly would come into the courtroom because she would act out. She would act erratically and she would have to be removed. So the defense was really able to build on that. And that was really the only angle that they could use, along with the fact that there was no body that was ever recovered. Jolene, to this day, has never been found. They never recovered her remains. And again, having a trial, a first degree murder trial, when there is no body is very, very difficult. However, ultimately, on December 8th, 2021, Kimberly Kessler was found guilty of first degree murder and grand theft auto and was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Now, again, even though Kimberly has been put behind bars for life, it still leaves the question of where is Jolene? What exactly happened that night? It's incredibly sad to think about Kimberly, who had been committing identity theft along with who knows what other crimes, was threatened by Jolene so much. And personally, I don't believe it had anything to do with the fact that Jolene was making more money than Kimberly. I think it had everything to do with the fact that Kimberly thought that Jolene was going to figure out what was going on. And she felt like the only way out of that was to get Jolene out of the picture entirely. However, clearly that backfired. Now, police have never given up hope when trying to locate Jolene's body, and they still believe that one day they will be able to reunite her with her family. And as for Kimberly, she still to this day has never admitted to anything in regards to Jolene's murder and has simply denied everything, which also makes this so, so much more frustrating because she's already been convicted. She's already going to jail for the rest of her life. You would think that the least that she could do at this point is allow 
allow Jolene to be reunited with her family, to give them those answers, to give them the slightest bit of closure that they could have. And I just think it's really, really selfish and vindictive and vile and evil that she isn't even willing to do that. But I can't say I'm shocked either. But that, you guys, is the case of Jolene Cummings. I'm very interested to hear what you guys have to say about this one. And so with that being said, that is all for me today. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to another episode of Killer Instinct. Again, if you are new here, hi, my name is Savannah, and I'm your host of Killer Instinct. Make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button. That way you never miss an episode. We post weekly on the podcast every Wednesday. You're not going to want to miss it. I'll be back next week with a brand new one for you guys. And until then, stay safe. Bye, guys.